Welcome to Encountering Empowerment. I'm your host, Victoria Jocko, here to help you feel certain about your worth. When you know you're enough, your power is uncontainable, and I'm here to help you unleash it. All of you is acceptable here. You're good, you're bad, and everything in between. It's time for you to see it too. Hello, my lovelies. I am going to share my life story with you. It's probably going to be in two or three parts. And I want to preface that I will be talking about a lot of upsetting things ranging from uh, psychiatric hospitalizations to self-harm to suicidal ideation. Um, So if that's not your jam, then this is not for you. I don't typically give like content warnings or anything like that, but I don't know. It feels a little bit necessary in this case scenario. So I have, I don't know why, but I have just been feeling more and more called to share this with you. Um, I've been seeing things like popping up on my social media feeds that very much relate to my life um, previously. I feel like I'm in a different life now, you know? Uh, (laughs) I've just like grown and changed so much that when I talk about my life, it almost feels uh, like it's not real, like it's not who I used to be, you know, because I've just changed so much. So anyway, I grew up in Buffalo, New York. Um, it's like upstate New York near Niagara Falls. And yeah, I always felt like a, like I was different. I always felt othered. I have a very clear memory being like five years old. Maybe I was like in kindergarten, so four or five on the playground. Um, And I just had like this sudden awareness of like, oh, I look different than other people and it's not a good thing. You know, I was always like chubby kid. So um, I was never like a happy child either. And to be fair, I do have uh, quite a bit of a memory gap. Um, My parents lost our home when I was in like first grade, maybe, maybe kindergarten. And we moved in with my grandparents and I don't have any memory of my home life until we moved out. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. But from what I do remember, I wasn't a super happy child. Um, it was always just kind of like, no, I don't know, like sad and very hyper aware of my body because I was chubby, even though like I didn't, Like, no one had really been mean to me yet. Um, I just had, like, this awareness that I was different. So, uh, that changed in terms of no one had said things to me about it yet uh, in about seventh grade. Uh, I don't know what the fuck happened, if I'm being totally honest, because I had grown up with these kids. Like, nothing, nothing was new. Um, they all knew me and suddenly they just like had a vendetta against me and they were out to get me and it was relentless. Um, I don't really even like to call it bullying. It was emotional abuse. If I'm being like candid, it was, it was abusive. Um, it was every single day they were just verbally tormenting me, um, in person. And then like they found, they got a hold of my like social media had like aim AIM at that point, you know? And they would like message me and like tell me to kill myself and stuff. Um, 
and call me fat. There was like this one kid who would make whale noises at me on the bus like every single day. It was terrible and I just suffered in silence um, because I was so ashamed of myself that I didn't talk about it with anybody and I just developed an eating disorder. So I stopped eating. I was also um, swimming competitively. So I was like working out a lot, like two and a half hours a day, six days a week. Um, So I lost a lot of weight very quickly and no one noticed. um, Well, no, people noticed, but like no one was concerned except for one of my guidance counselors. I remember he like sat me down and was like, are you okay? You've lost a lot of weight very quickly. Like, are you good? And I remember being like so put off and like embarrassed because like I didn't, I didn't think I I looked okay. You know, I, I thought I was fat. So um, yeah, I didn't really want to talk about my body. I didn't want my body to be the center of attention, especially considering it had been, right? Like I had been bullied. So uh, I was also seeing my school social worker. And uh, I remember one day I... I was telling her, you know, how depressed I was. I was always very honest and, you know, I was telling her that I was, you know, I had suicidal ideations. And so she asked, she, she said to me, um, you know, there's a place that you could go to, to get help fast. Is that something that you would be interested in? And I was like, yeah, I guess so. You know? And so I think my mom picked me up and drove me to uh, the first psychiatric hospital I stayed at. Um, I stayed there for 11 days. I was prescribed Lexapro. I'm pretty sure I met one of my friends there. Um, I met a lot of friends. I made, I made a lot of friends in psych wards. Um, we understood each other and it was like one of the only good things that came out of those places. So, uh, yeah, they put me on Lexapro, which is an antidepressant. And after 11 days, they let me out. Um, and I was okay. Not, well, Kind of. I would think I was okay at first, and then it progressively got worse uh, to where about a month later I was back in the hospital, but a different one this time. Um, so there, in total, there are three hospitals that I stay at. This is the second one. Uh, so in this hospital, I stayed for about four weeks. They took me off Lexapro. They diagnosed me with bipolar disorder and put me on a mood stabilizer. And I don't know, I think I want to say it was there that they prescribed me clonopin, which is um, an anti-anxiety medication. And so, yeah, I was on that. Um, I stayed four weeks there. I saw a lot of really terrible things. Um, It was quite a traumatic stay, honestly. Um, I saw a lot of kids that were, you know, just on so many drugs that they were not coherent. They couldn't go to the bathroom by themselves. Um, they would have accidents and it would, these aren't like kid kids. They're like 12 and up, you know? So, um, I saw a lot of, uh, uh, like self-harm type of things there. Um, not like active self-harm, but like seeing what people had done to themselves, which was really, um, sad and traumatizing. And, uh, I was also almost assaulted there didn't realize it until much later, but, um, yeah, that almost happened. So it was a pretty fucked up, fucked up thing. (laughs) Um, and to top it all off, I did not feel cared for by the doctors. Uh, they kind of just treated me like a lab rat, or at least like that's how it felt later on for sure. But, you know, and even in that first day, it just didn't give me the time of the day, 
time of day. They didn't um, want to listen to me. They just want, they thought they knew what was best and that's what they were going to do. So I also didn't have bodily autonomy when I was in the psych wards. Um, Yeah, they just, especially when you're a child, they just really don't care. So that was kind of the start of a five year long period of me going in and out of there. So I missed a lot of school. I don't really remember being in school until the end of 10th grade. Um, and then I went to an alternative school because like, I just could not handle being in the main, the main school with like all of the kids. So my school district had a program where I could go and have much smaller classes with like 10 kids plus 10 kids max, excuse me. Um, so I did that and yeah, I just was in and out of the hospitals. Even after that, even like in 10th grade, I was still in and out of the hospitals. So I have no idea how many times I went. Uh, it was a lot. And in that time period, I was, I tried a couple of other medications, but I mostly just stayed on the mood stabilizer, uh, which didn't work. It didn't do shit for me um, because I'm not bipolar, uh, which is like a whole other issue. You know, I saw quite a few doctors in that time period and nobody ever thought to like retest me, especially when the mood stabilizers weren't working, uh, which like, what are you doing? That's literally your entire fucking job. <laughs> uh, so yeah, um, in and out of there for a very long time. Uh, I was on this medication called Celexa at one point, which made me severely depressed and ended up, it got me into the hospital twice actually, because like they put me on it and then I became very suicidal. And then I went to the hospital and they, I told them, I'm like, I am deeply depressed since being on this, like very, this is bad. And they were like, let's up it. So they did that. And then exactly a week later, I was back in there because I became even more suicidal. So um, they finally took me off it at that point. Thank fucking God. Uh, and that was the only other medication um, that I had tried outside of anxiety drugs. So I was on quite a few different ones. Um, and I developed a an addiction to them. So pretty much the first time that I took Clonopin, uh, that was like my, that was my gateway. Um, I began pretty badly abusing them at that point. Um, and just like progressively got worse. I would mix them with alcohol. I would mix them all together. Um, my parents like were told. So at at one point, because I had been hospitalized so many times, CPS, I'm pretty sure got involved and they were like, you need to lock up these medications and they would. And I would like break into the safe and get them. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, not great. Uh, And that went on for quite a while. Um, When I was 17, I uh, ended up getting off of them. Well, off of my mood stabilizer. So they, because they had upped the milligram so much, you know, trying to stabilize my moods, um, they had upped the milligram so much that it looked like I had drunk goggles on. I don't know if you've ever had like the police come in and do like a demonstration to your school when you were a kid. Um, to do like a demonstration about like, this is what it's like when you're on drugs or alcohol. Uh, but they did that for us. And so I remember, um, they put like drunk goggles on us, which made everything cloudy and then made us like walk in a line. And so that's like the best comparison that I have to what my vision was starting to do. 
And so I decided to stop. Um, however, sometime before I did that, I had a very pivotal moment uh, for my life. So I took LSD for the first time and I went out to a rave with a friend of mine who I met in the hospital. And uh, she, uh, a couple of years ago, she died by suicide, which um, is just another example of how the mental health care system and just the system as a whole fails us um, as people. But uh, yeah, we went out. She was pregnant, actually. She didn't take anything. She didn't drink or take drugs or anything like that. But I took some LSD and we met up with some of her friends, a couple of her friends. I think maybe they were her boyfriend's friends, actually. But anyway, not important. What is important is that they left and I was just left there with these mutual friends. And I wanted to, you know, stay out and party. So they ended up taking me back to their place and showed me this band that has become like... (laughs) Oh my God. Uh, a very important part of my life. And they showed me a da- So the band is called Bucky Foot. They host a festival here, which is where I met my entire friend group and where I've met uh, both of my partners. So didn't expect that to be a thing, but um, here we are. <laughs> and yeah, uh, she. they also showed me um, a documentary about genetically modified organisms, GMOs which opened up a rabbit hole into conspiracy theories, which I'm going to talk about in another part uh, because I I don't want to talk about everything um, on this episode. So I, yeah, it was a very transformational moment for me. It changed so much of my life. I mean, it, it still is affecting me to this day. You know, I have the friend group that I have because of that night. I have the partners that I have because of that night. I am the person that I am because of that night. Uh, And I will talk again. I will talk more about that because conspiracy theories in particular played a huge role in my eating disorder and the work that I do now. Uh, Because without them, I wouldn't have had the realizations that I had about them. Anyway, that's that sounds very cryptic, but um, <laughs> I promise I will talk more about that in part two. So, uh, yeah. After that, I moved to Japan. My dad um, is a teacher for high school, or for high school. Maybe it, he might actually be for high school, but it's for military personnel's children. So I think he he teaches both middle school and high school. Um, so yeah, we got a job in, he got a job, God, he, not we, he got a job in Japan and we all moved there (laughs) and I got off my medication. I remember I was like detoxing for a couple of weeks for the first couple of weeks I was there. I was in a very bad mental state, uh, I was not doing well. I was self-harming quite a bit. I was extremely suicidal. Um, I was just like catatonic, honestly. Like my, I, I just, it was bad. So after a couple of weeks, I kind of evened out. I, after I watched that GMO documentary, I started taking better care of myself. Like this is where the orthorexia comes into play. And for those of you who don't know, orthorexia is uh, an eating disorder that's 
it's founded on an obsession for healthy eating. And so like that was kind of, it was almost like foreshadowing what was to come. (laughs) And again, I will talk more about that. If you follow me on Instagram, you know at least a little bit about this. But um, so I was eating like all whole foods, you know, quote unquote whole foods, um, nothing processed or, you know, like packaged, I should say, I guess. Um, and I was exercising quite a bit and yeah, I just like genuinely, I wanted to take care of myself. Uh, and that carried on while I was in Japan. So after I, you know, got done kind of getting all of the drugs or at least the mood stabilizer out of my system, because I was still taking anti-anxiety medications because I was dependent on them emotionally, at least. Um, I like could not go without them. I wanted to get high. So, um, after that, I made some friends while I was in Japan. I met a boyfriend and I, you know, was exercising pretty regularly. I was taking care of myself. I was, uh, drinking like moderately, I guess, you know, when we would go out or whatever, I was drinking like socially at that point. And, um, that didn't last very long. I think I was with him for like a month. And after that, and I don't know why I spiraled out, but I did. Because I wasn't like devastated about the relationship. I was actually quite happy it was over. (laughs) But I spiraled and I became extremely depressed and I turned into an alcoholic. I was drinking every single night a lot. Uh, I remember drinking like at least half a bottle to three quarters of a bottle of Captain Morgan. I don't know why I liked I, well, I didn't like it. It just got me really fucked up. So uh, I was drinking a lot. I was self-harming very heavily. I was um, binging and purging at that point as well. So uh, I would like get really drunk. I would binge eat. I would make myself throw up. And then I would also self-harm. Wow. That is so terrible. I don't think I've ever said it like that out loud before. But yikes. That's what I was doing though because I couldn't cope with my emotions. I hated myself. Uh, I hated my body. My body was always a big pain point for me. I hated my body. I hated just everything about me. And self-destruction seemed like the only option, um, which I was also abusing sex as well. It was, I don't know what to use other than the word promiscuous, which like I don't really like, but um, I, I was, I was sleeping with a lot of men and yeah, just, just kind of trying to find my worth in them and trying to numb myself and escape myself. So, uh, that lasted for quite a while until I kind of was like, Hey, I, I should go back home. Uh, mainly so I could smoke weed because like that was less destructive in my life. And I'll talk more about that because I I quit a couple years ago and it was a very good decision. Um, but yeah, I kind of wanted to go home mainly for that, (laughs) but I also wanted to go to school and I wanted to make friends. I was pretty isolated in Japan because I didn't speak Japanese and, uh, the only people I could interact with were military people and they weren't the best. So. Uh, (laughs) I, um, I went home and I went to college. I went to school for, I was only in there for a year, uh, but I went for neuropsychology 
I wanted to be someone that would figure out a way to help people <laughs> go figure. Uh, but I specifically, I wanted to figure out how to figure out a way to help people outside of um, like modern medicine because it had been so destructive in my life. And yeah, it was something that I was passionate about at the time. So, which is funny, uh, it lasted for the first semester. And then I watched um, Earthlings. Wait, not not Earthlings. Um, Cowspiracy. That's what it was. Cowspiracy. So I was vegetarian already. And then I watched that with my uh, boyfriend who was also in the Navy, but I had met him in high school and we dated for a while in high school. And then we broke up and then we got back together when I was in college. <laughs> so we like watched it on like a Zoom video chat together. And then that night I went vegan because I it was about like the impact of um, animal products on the environment. And it also inspired me. I wanted to, I changed my major to environmental science because I was like, oh my God, I need to help. I need to save the world, you know, save your complex. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, my second semester, my first semester went great. I made a friend, made a couple of friends. Um, it was fine. I was having a good time. Second semester though was bad my mental health declined rapidly. Um, and I had my final hospitalization. I tried overdosing on Valium, which was, uh, the anti-anxiety medication, the only drug that I had been taking at that point. Um, and I ended up in the hospital. And, uh, I also want to say that like when I tried, uh, killing myself, it was, it was like, an, an attempt, but also, like, I had this knowing of, like, it's not actually going to happen. Like, I would I would go close to the edge, but I wouldn't, like, jump over it, if that makes sense. Because, like, I wanted to die, but I also didn't. I just didn't want to be in pain anymore, you know? Like, I, I hated myself and I wanted to stop hating myself. So, I, I guess I kind of wanted to say that because um, I wasn't ever, like, I never had my stomach pumped. I Nothing like that ever happened. It was more so just like there were a lot of drugs in my system and um, it could seriously damage my organs. So actually, oh, that actually uh, made me remember that I had to have my heart monitored for like three days when I went for that hospitalization. But anywho, that was my final one. I was there for a week, had so much more bodily autonomy as an adult. Holy shit when you're a child, you have zero rights in psych wards. And when I had that visit, um, I could do whatever the fuck I wanted, essentially. Like, I didn't have to go to therapies. I didn't have to take medications. I could just sit in my room and wait it out. And I did. So after a week, I got out. And that day, so my boyfriend and I had been struggling. Um, I had some suspicions. He was there was something going on between him and this girl that he was friends with, but they had like a fling before we had gotten back together and blah, blah, blah. So he hadn't called me while I was in the hospital. And so I FaceTimed him as soon as I got out, like I got in my mom's car and I FaceTimed him and he was in his car on his way to go hang out with this girl. And I was like, dude, we're, we're done. I can't do this shit anymore. And so I broke up with him. Um, I decided that I was not going to be taking medication anymore of any kind. I was going to stop uh, taking the Valium. And 
my mom and I went to this park that we would go to. It, like, it was down by, I don't know what river it was, but it was by a river. And I was just, like, sitting there crying. Um, and I was heartbroken. I had just broken up with my boyfriend, who I was, like, so in love with. You know, whatever. <laughs> I say that rolling my eyes because, like, oh, my God. That... Could, could y'all imagine me as a military wife? Oh, my God. Yikes. Oh, no, no way. <laughs> so anyway, I was sitting there crying and I look up and there's this like beautiful sunset happening. The sky is like pink and orange and there's a huge like full rainbow right in front of me. And this has happened so many times when I am like in deep emotional pain <laughs> Where, like, the sky just does something spectacular. And I'm like, wow. But in that moment, I kind of knew, like, this is a pivotal point in my life. And it was. I broke up with someone that I had been on and off with who had been causing me a lot of pain. Like, I finally took that step to do that. And I also took... I made the decision to stop abusing drugs. I made the decision to be with myself for the first time. Now, was I perfect with it? No, for sure not. Um, I continued to abuse alcohol for quite a few years after that. Actually, for like two or three. It wasn't that many, but still. And weed. I'm still abusing that. Again, I'll talk about that in the next part. But um, it was a step. And... It was huge and important, and I'm so grateful that I did it. And that is where I'm going to leave you today. Uh, I want to just take a moment before I end this to remind you to look back on these things and give yourself some credit, because I don't a lot of the time. I also don't talk about this often, but... Um, I'm glad that I am because I deserve to have some credit. <laughs> what I did, even in just like this, uh, this segment, right? Like this story um, is incredible and I have done so much more and it feels normal because it's just what I had to do. It's just who I am. And if you're listening to this, you're probably similar. That the things that you have done, they're just a part of you. They're just what you had to do. And you don't give credit to yourself, but it is due. <laughs> give credit where credit is due. These things that we do in this life are not minor. They are huge and they are important. And... Oh, I was doing such a good job not getting emotional. I was afraid that I was, especially talking about my friend who um, died by suicide. But uh, now I'm getting emotional because I hope that you see yourself as the most powerful, magnificent human that you are. And I hope you don't minimize the incredible things that you do. Because even though they're normal to you, they're not normal. <laughs> they're amazing. You're amazing. 
And I hope that you see that. And I hope you take a moment today, every day, for the rest of your life (laughs) to look back on the things that you have done, big and small, and congratulate yourself. You're fucking amazing. I'm amazing. (laughs) We're all amazing. All right. (sighs) That is where I'm going to leave you. I will see you next time for part two. Bye. Hey, if you're ready to feel a sense of inner safety, security, and certainty, come work with me. I'll teach you how to accept yourself using my empowerment process so that you can become the confident, powerful, bad bitch you are. Go to the link in the show notes and schedule our first date where we'll chat about your goals, get to know each other, and come up with an amazing action plan to get you to where you want to be. I'll see you there. Thank you.